the incomparable. Number 577, August 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Yes, it's still the summer of Spielberg. Steven Spielberg made a lot of sci-fi fantasy movies, people. Uh, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about 2001 and Stanley Kubrick. But no, not what you're thinking of. It's 2001's AI Artificial Intelligence, directed by Spielberg, uh, long in production by Stanley Kubrick and passed to Spielberg uh, after his death in 1999. It's the movie with Haley Joel Osment as a little robot kid. And a lot of interesting stuff happens in this movie uh, to talk about it <laughs> with you. It's good. It's a good. Ooh. I mean, would anyone dispute interesting stuff happens in this movie? Hope not. I mean, I saw The Lost World colon Jurassic Park. Not a lot of interesting stuff happens in that movie. So this is a, a you know, a cut above. Uh, joining me to talk about it are the following wonderful people. Cicero Holmes is back for more Spielberg. Hello. Uh, I You know, I can never have too much Spielberg. How are you, Jason? I'm doing great. It's good to have you back. Uh, Thank to you, Talk sir. about another one of these uh, Spielberg films. Monty Ashley is also here. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. I saw this movie for the first time last night, and I love it. <gasps> All right. We're going to talk about it. And Erica Ensign is also here. Hello. Hello. I would like to call to order the first annual meeting of the Teddy Appreciation Society. <laughs> because, <laughs> because seriously, it's like Teddy Rocks pin. Am I right? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so when we talked about uh, Close Encounters, Cicero, you may remember this. Um, yes. We talked about how that was kind of many Steven Spielberg movies in one. Yes. And I was thinking about that as I watched AI because AI is kind of three movies, right? One of the things yes. that's very interesting about it structurally is there's a 52 minute long segment I counted where uh, our main character, who is the artificial uh, boy <laughs> played by Haley Joel Osment, David, um, where he is, uh, he is at home. And then there is a segment for about an hour where he is on the run having adventures with Jude Law, who looks real plasticky because right. he's <laughs> Gigolo Joe, the sex bot. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll get to the, the, all, the, all the phases later. But the, the, the final part is a half hour-ish segment in the far future, 2,000 years later, where... Um, advanced mechanical beings, presumably the uh, descendants of David and his ilk from not our time, but in the near future when this movie, the rest of the movie is set, uh, sort of thaw him out uh, of where we left him at the end of segment two. And uh, he sort of has a final denouement uh, there. So three movies, three movies for the price of one people. No wonder yeah, it was a worldwide hit. It's amazing because I, I saw this movie back, I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but I definitely saw it shortly after it came out. So it might have even been in the theater. I don't remember. But I, I remembered that I liked it. And then I sat down to watch it for this podcast, having not seen it since then. And I had forgotten at least one of those movies mm. that you just talked about there, Jason. And I remembered liking it. I just, I 
somehow completely forgot that Jude Law was even in this movie, even though I really love Jude Law. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so like that section had just fallen out of my brain. And it was very, I think maybe because 2001 Erica was a little bit prudish and the idea of a sex bot that looked like Jude Law made me uncomfortable. Wow, have I grown up since then. Oh, also, um, the next but, year he did, I think part of it too is Spielberg's own career because the next year he did Minority Report, which is kind mm. of that middle section of the movie again. Yes. On a larger mm. scale. And we'll, we're going to get to Minority Report. Well, we're going to get there <laughs> in the summer of Spielberg. But um, but it, it, I was, I, during that whole second segment, I was thinking, now is this the part where, no, that's Minority Report. Uh, that happened a lot. <laughs> but in turn, and when we get there, I've got, I actually find some of that kind of charming and some of it very strange. Um, but yeah, I I remember the ending actually the best. Um, mm-hmm. of all of this. And the other thing that I've noted is, that, you know, this movie's from 2001, so it's 20 years old now. One of the things that got to me, especially in the first segment, which is the segment where, um, I should say, there are uh, two parents. This is this is in a future uh, where the cities have been flooded uh, post-global warming, and there are a lot of artificial intelligence creatures around, but they're not considered sentient. Um, but uh, the Cybertronics, which is a totally a name of a company in the future, Cybertronics <laughs> uh, is making what what are called mechas that are they have a prototype of of a new mecha who loves because due to population control, very few people are allowed to have children. Um, and so, so William Hurt is playing the part of the guy at Cybertronics who is going to make this, uh, replacement sort of artificial child that can love you. Um, and these parents, including one who is a, an employee of Cybertronics, uh, they they have a child, but the child has a, a, a seemingly uncurable later cured disease. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's frozen in a tube. And so they're supplied with this uh this test this prototype the first of its kind a uh, a mecca who will imprint on you and will will love you and the idea yeah. is that this is the first of a new generation of artificial creatures that are made to feel or seem like they feel i think that the movie is not entirely clear on that point and that's one of the oh, things oh. that i find perplexing about it but anyway this oh, this part I- of the movie um, I would like to present my thesis for the movie now, if that's okay. Please do. Mm, this is the excited. thesis presentation, traditionally right. portion of the podcast. So, yes. Um, the first thing we see practically is William Hurt saying, I propose that we build a robot child who can love. Now, that's the first section of the movie where mm-hmm. we learn building a robot child that knows, knows nothing more than to love you with complete intensity is a terrible idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then the second portion of the movie is also he wants to be loved. Let's see how that plays out. <laughs> <laughs> and very badly. Mm-hmm. And then the third part is, oh, but what if at some point they figured it out and there were robots who could love and they fix him? I haven't worked, worked that part yeah. out yet. He gives love. He gives love in the third part. I, I, see, Monty, okay. I love it. I, yeah, I think in the in the third part, he discovers that he was loved all along. And mm. I will argue my point when we get okay. to that. And, that, and, that and you could also argue that it's it's the the future robots who have learned compassion, who allow him to have his perfect moment and fulfill his destiny because they are they have compassion mm-hmm. for him. Even if it you know, even if we debate whether it's real or not or true or not, he gets to have he gets to fulfill his purpose, which I think implies that they have compassion for him. 
Yeah, I think the future robots can love and do love him, but it's not mm-hmm. like the very crude, well, we'll just flip the switch to mommy love right, me, love. mommy love me, mommy love me, mommy <laughs> so, love me. So pro, pro, let's let's talk about this. And this is one of the problems I have with this movie. I think this movie is fascinating. I'm not sure I like it. I'm not sure I love it, but I think it's really interesting, which is great to talk about, right? So one of the questions I have is product marketing people. Hello, Cybertronics. <laughs> Hello, William Hurt. Let's talk about this. You, Good news, everybody. You've created a robot child who can love you. Um, and you've created a demo period after which they become, per- when you bond with them, they become permanently bonded to you. And, and there is nothing they can do uh, if... It doesn't work out. They just take the robot back to the factory to be scrapped, which seems awfully wasteful. Could you not reboot it or erase the memory or something like that? Uh, Especially if it's the first prototype, by the way. Yes. You need to give him back and give a bug report. Don't just jump him in the woods. For for plot reasons, the mother has to leave him in the woods in New Jersey because she can't bear to think of him being torn apart. But there's no way that William Hurt... It right like th- if you if this is your prototype you don't say well if you bring him back we're going to scrap him you say if you have any issues call us we'll talk about it if you need to bring him back we will take him and we will analyze the situation and it'll be fine and instead apparently she's told nope he's going to go on the scrap heap if you bring him back here which seems like a miscalculation what i was getting at is the I other miscalculation husband what yeah what the other miscalculation i would mention is um if you if the whole selling point of this robot is that it loves you, but it acts like a super creepy, weird kind of half asleep robot until you permanently <laughs> bond with it, you know the demo period is supposed like when you get a TV and it, it like in the store it's all bright and colorful and stuff like you want it to be showing off what it can do up front, and and this and and hey, let's say it, Haley Joel Osment, if this is what I got from him before I bonded with him, I would take mm-hmm. him back to the factory. <laughs> yeah, it's a horror movie at first. It is. It, it is It is kind of, but I think the the important thing to remember is that this is a prototype. This has not gone past any marketing department. Right. The decisions have entirely been made by the board, and having had some input uh, to different boards, they don't generally always know a lot about <laughs> marketing. And I think throughout the movie, William Hurt is shown to not really have, like his his head is in the clouds in terms of inventing. He's a mad scientist, basically. So it doesn't surprise me that he is not very wise when it comes to selling things and making sure that that uh, the the mommy figure is going to be told the correct information. So I really think this is this is all R and D people making R and D decisions. So Cybertronics also worked with a lot of R and D people. Cybertronics screwed this up, is what you're saying. Which it, it is true. William Hurt is mm-hmm. a bit of a mad scientist. He is, as we find out later in the movie, he is creating a replica of his own dead child um yeah. healthy uh, and, also, and became little... very proficient at doing so yeah which is uh, why the child is programmed to be the child of a single parent right like, i think right. that's one of the right. problems they didn't put in how to be a brother eh, who's, a, who's gonna well, have he, another kid i i also find it again not explained and maybe you could explain it away but i always have found it um because this is my second or third time seeing it i find it perplexing that it only bonds with the mother yes that's another R&D problem right there, which, you know, I think maybe they fixed by the time they got to the rest of those Davids that were hanging uh, and Darlene's that were hanging around. I don't think they did. They didn't. No. <laughs> maybe uh, that's, that's over the air updates. Uh, that's sure. what they were waiting for. On, on patches. The, Wi-Fi patches. The, yeah. Yeah. The, the the first part of the movie is is nonsensical. 
It really is. It's, it's, it really is just a a vehicle to to push David along on this adventure because th- just David's creation creates all sorts of problems. Like Monty said, like the the first thing you say is you you you're gonna build a robot that allows you to love, right? And imprint itself on the parents. What happens if the parents die? What happens when the parents die? Right, like what the you, robot. <laughs> yeah, right. Like one of the parents dies. This 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 robot has never been prepared for death. It's inconsolable, and now the other surviving parent has to put down their robot child, and yeah. because it's inconsolable, that's crazy. Well, so, it's a Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Which is why it's my favorite part of the movie. The, the first <laughs> section is the part that stayed in my brain the longest and the most. Like the, the beginning of the movie imprinted on me the, the way David imprinted on his <laughs> uh, his his mother. Uh, it it just it gives me those. The, the, the thinky sci-fi feelings. I, I I love that sort of you know futuristic what if idea that's around sort of something that's got a real moral quandary at its at its center. And I'm not saying that th- any of these decisions were wise because clearly they're not. They do lead to an interesting movie. Uh, but I just I loved watching it play out. And I also thought that another really big mistake on the part of Cybertronics was deciding that the couple who had the tragedy in their backstory was the best couple to like play test this. Right. You got um, a whole world of people what? who are not allowed to have children. <laughs> uh-huh. And and why would you choose somebody who has such a an an awful traumatic experience? Like even if that other son never wakes up, I still think this is a bad okay. idea because it's not this is not a, a good template for the rest of the people who will probably be buying this this device. So there's so, there are a lot of mistakes made by the scientists in the beginning. And I oh god, I love scientist mistakes, you guys. In movies. <laughs> so in movies. so the book or the story that this is based on from nineteen sixty nine by Brian Aldiss, uh, Super Toys Last All Summer Long. The plot of it involves a childless couple who has a replacement child, a, a, like a temporary robot child and a teddy. And then they get they win the lottery and they get rid of the child. And I think, and I was thinking about this from another angle, but I think these both go here. I think that this would be a better setup in this segment if they took some time and had the passage of time, but for whatever reason, they want this to happen on a fairly short time frame. So they, they get David and then mm. their, their, uh, their actual kid, Martin gets unthawed and comes oh, back to kid. them and they have the father turns on David immediately. Right. Immediately. So Brian Aldous's story, the idea is that, uh, the robot kid, uh, they have to get rid of him because the, the, the they're going to have a baby. And here I was thinking the way you should do this is have the passage of time. Like I kept thinking of the classic Harlan Ellison story, Jeff D is five. Like uh-huh. you've got a kid, a robot kid who's always going to be a kid. I think right. an even greater horror would be to see them get a baby, have the baby then be older. You have to show the passage right. of time and you get to the point where they get rid of the son because the son is not growing up and that's super yeah. creepy but instead here it's just like oh we unthawed martin and he's kind of a jerk uh and now we're gonna let you go in the woods and i, well, I don't know i think that's because they don't need to tell that story it's been told a bunch of times like there's the electric grandmother which was a twilight zone episode called i sing the body electric mm-hmm. like they they just nod to it like when he says are you going to die? Right. In 50 years. The, is that a long time? The, audi- <laughs> the audience has been around. We go, oh, you're going to be a kid forever and mm. he's going to die and that's going to mess you up. So, you know, 
we've seen that story. They nod to it. And then they do a different story. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I actually prefer this story because the way that I read the entire movie now that I've, I've watched it again is that it is it is essentially a fairy tale. Yeah, and yes. it mm-hmm. is Pinocchio. <laughs> yes, and yes. if you don't have... If you don't have the mother actually loving Pinocchio, actually loving David, then it's not a happy ending in the in a fairy tale esque sort of fashion in the end. So I think I prefer that they did it this way because the mom really did bond to David. She really did love him. She couldn't bring herself to take him back to the factory where he was going to be destroyed. But she also really loves Martin, her biological son, and is genuinely worried that David will accidentally do something that's going to harm him and or possibly kill him. And in order to to let both of her sons still live, she needs to just let David go in the woods. And if she didn't do that, um, then we wouldn't have the ending with her, which we will mm-hmm. eventually get to, which made me ugly, ugly cry. So <laughs> I'm really glad it worked out this way. I agree. Um, I had the same thought, which is early in this movie, you you might find yourself asking, what is this movie? <laughs> is it a science fiction movie or a fairy tale? The answer is it's yes. a fairy tale. It, it is wrapped <laughs> in science fiction clothing, mm-hmm. but it is and, and the end makes it very clear. But like it is. A fairy tale. I think that may be one of the reasons Stanley Kubrick said, I think m- this might be better as a Spielberg movie than as mm-hmm. a Kubrick movie, is that he felt like that was the that was actually what this story is. Because it is, and I think if you judge it in that way, it um, comes a, up a, a more of a winner than if you judge it as a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember uh, I saw this movie opening weekend in the theater, and then I saw it uh, three hours ago. Um, and I remember going, I remember, uh, watching it in the theater and being at the point where the mom is leaving David in the woods and, and thinking like, what the hell is going on? And like, what is this movie? (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, today as I was watching it, I was ugly crying right there because like, you could see the pain that it was creating for her yeah. to have to leave him. And I thought that was really well done. And, and, uh, you know, uh, one overall, uh, kudo that I want to give is, is to Haley Joel Osment, man. Like, oh yeah. Like yeah. Th- the dude just, he was a prodigy. Um, and it's cool to see him doing work now and, and, uh, I've loved him and all the stuff that I've seen him in, uh, more recently. Uh, but man, when he was a kid, holy crap. Yeah. Like he was, he was doing stuff that, uh, that someone his age just shouldn't have been able to, to do from a performance standpoint. He was fantastic. Yeah, this performance this. is remarkable. Um, and, and I, I like Jude Law's performance too. I think that, yes. it, 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 but you know, he's, he's all, he's a grown up doing this, but like the idea of being, <laughs> he already looks like he's plastic. Yeah. So, <laughs> true. so good pick. Haley Joel Osment, he, first off, it's two separate performances because I feel like he's very different after he imprints on her. Right. Yes. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Totally. Um, and this kind of uncanny, right. We talk about this with something like Westworld, right. It is this right. uncanny valley of you're not human but you're human like, and it's really weird. And he nails it. You've got, I, I I have more to talk about in the second segment, but like with him and Jude law and their adventures, it's very much, this would not be an adventure except for the fact that these two beings are so sheltered and innocent and Mm -hmm. only really know like the thing that they're meant to do. 
and that and you see that in Osmond's performance like there are moments that feel right and moments that feel very wrong and they all just kind of flow together and that's exactly what you want out of this character is is the uncanniness of a not quite human creature kubrick apparently thought that they were going to have to do cgi and it wouldn't be believable and the fact is they found the actor who could do it and and he did it and Mm -hmm. it's very good and you know the thing that allows those characters even from the beginning to make it through the world the 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 fuzzy thread that ties them together is teddy who we also see at the for the first time in this beginning section and i that's one of the sort of sci-fi concepts that that really made me happy is that you have a robot boy who then is given a robot toy and it's yeah. like the, the layers on this are, are delightful and then the toy is technically taken away from him because it actually belongs to martin but then martin turns around and gives it back to him and i was right. just like oh made me so happy yeah teddy's a great and te- that's the that's from the original story too the idea the original story is uh there's a kid who lives in a house with his parents and he's given a robot teddy bear and it's only at the end that you get that twilight zone twist when they get they win the lottery to have an actual kid and they say oh well we can get rid of this robot kid now um so they they use some of that including the fact that there's this the teddy who yeah it's a really nice combination the 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 trio when they're uh around and teddy dispenses some wisdom at, at various points yeah it's it's funny to me that the creature that is made to be the least human is actually the most human in terms of the wisdom to recognize what is wise and what is not wise yep. in any given situation yeah i agree um, I want to mention something else too, and this goes back to the: is this a fairy tale or is this a sci-fi novel or sci-fi movie? And I said it is. I I came down on it. it is absolutely a fairy tale. I actually wrote in my notes at one point: uh, this movie is super weird and almost dreamlike. It, mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. that was like the moment where I was like, okay, I need to go with fairy tale because that's what this is. And that's actually at the moment when um, Martin talks. Uh, David into cutting a lock of hair from the mother (laughs) in which by the way in which Martin who obviously as a kid watched Star Trek because he literally Captain Kirk logics David he's like look you 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 said tell me and then I'll promise so you have to promise and and David's like uh okay I guess I promised then and it's just it's just a little logic loop but but before when I'm I'm wondering about fairy tale or sci-fi what what got me is William Hurt is literally playing the same character he's playing in the TV series Humans, which was made like right. eight years ago. Mm. A, a a guy who is creating artificial life. And what, what I thought about this movie 20 years on is, what's interesting is, the if you, if you watch AI and you're like, I really wish it was science fiction and not a fairy tale, watch Humans. Because that's literally what it is, is a science fiction take on... What are the ethics of creating intelligence that is not human? And are they alive? And how do we integrate them into society? And AI is not your movie if you want to see really grappling with those issues because it is a fairy tale and it is about David. And it just struck me that like we've seen a lot of media over the last 20 years since this movie was made grapple with a lot of these subjects, I think, in really good ways, including literally what if William Hurt is is basically the same guy uh, in a different kind of story. So that got me off track a little bit. But um, but there there is media for that. If you want to see the the more kind of moral 
ethical si- uh, side of this beyond the sort of journey of the one boy who may or may not, I mean, I think to Mondi's point, is programmed for feelings, which is not the same necessarily as having them. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, a lot of science fiction about robots goes, are they real? Do they have souls? And this movie, I think, says no. <laughs> <laughs> they have free wow. will, but they are right. driven by what we tell them to be driven by. So let's go see what that goes like. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think maybe maybe is makes you question yourself a little bit too at the same time, which is like, well, how do I know about my my emotions, or am I just doing what I was programmed to yeah. do? But right. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Like I say, he never becomes a real boy. Right. He's always 100 percent focused on getting love from Monica, and then he gets it, and he's happy. That's not right. becoming a real boy. How uh, I think he does become a real boy at the end because he is exactly as real as everybody else that exists. Ooh. Oh, nice! Well, right? Well, mm-hmm. well, yeah. I like that. Right? Yeah. Well, he's a real. I mean, High five. That's he's, he's what's the realest boy. What's real? Yeah, he's told at one point he's not real, and it's like, well, he is real. He exists, and that's <laughs> actually that's Jude yeah. Law's last line is about the same thing, where he says, "I am. I was." Um, it, it's like. You may not be human. It doesn't mean you didn't exist. And at the end, when they're in this exalted state with the with the sentient robots who are who are watching all of this, I feel like that's the that's the implication there is that, you know, you may not be a real boy, but it doesn't mean you're not real. You're you're your own unique first of your kind, as they say. Um and, well, or as William hurts it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a nice. It's a nice <laughs> parallel. Well, I actually like that moment where, yeah, am I am am I one of a kind? It's no, no, but you're the first of your kind, and it's like right. that's a. And yeah, maybe maybe if there's no David, we don't e- even ever get to those sentient robots. Maybe he was the first I, step on that journey. That's headcanon. I think. Of course, I don't know. I think the movie kind of wants you to think that that's that that he may be indeed the first step. I don't know. There's a lot of other robot companies, and presumably yes. some of them have more sense than to create a yeah. little boy that <laughs> there is a whole list, and then just mar- mass market them because we don't le- ever learn anything that makes a whole shelf of David's a good idea. No, uh-uh. that's true. You know what's what's really funny about the about this film as we kind of get into the second part where where we like we get to the like island of the misfit toys the the problem the or, or the cool thing that you get out of that is the fact that all of these robots answer a question that is the existential question like you were saying Jason of all of the the robot sci-fi things which is uh can a robot have free will and and all of them have self-preservation and and right have a level of like there's the one robot that asks to turn if someone can turn off his pain receptors. Yeah. And and you know like I've resigned myself to my fate, but I don't want it to hurt. So, you know, can you can you do that? Can you do me this one favor? Like that was really cool that it was just kind of thrown in there. Um as you're on this ride trying to save David and Plastic Jude Law and hoping right. that Teddy reunites with them. Yeah, so Jude Law is a uh, is a sex bot who is basically framed for a murder by Enrico Colantoni. <laughs> Enrico Colantoni, and he's gone. Uh, My notes have a lot of actors' names, <laughs> yep. exclamation points after uh, yeah. them. Yeah, this is is that kind of movie. Um, and Jude Law says, "I'm in bad trouble," and he goes on the run. Um, but we oh, get yeah. Go ahead. I love the sex world that he's in. It's cool cyberpunk lighting. He's in. A, Dude Law always looks amazing, but he's got a, this 
leather coat. He's got his he own Bluetooth cool. speaker built into him for romantic yep. music. I didn't expect this out of a Spielberg movie or, frankly, a Kubrick movie, but I thought that the sleazy sex robot world was really cool to look at. It's honestly my least favorite part of the movie, um, but I like it. So that's not you know necessarily saying that I, I, I dislike it. To me, it just it felt and I feel like this was a choice that was on purpose. So it was very effective, but it feels really not of a piece with the rest of the movie. It is such a shock to crash into this world, which I think is the point. Yes, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. But but yeah, it, like it just it came as such a huge surprise to me. And I think that may also be part of why I just didn't remember it later on, because I was stitching together the bits that 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 sort of fit together uh, thematically in my in my brain. Um, but I, I do think it's it's a really fascinating place. But yeah, just the, the it's like everything changes the tone of the movie, the lighting, mm. like you said, like it looks really, you know, cool. And it somehow manages to be grimy and shiny at the same time, uh, <laughs> yes. which is it's that's quite an achievement. <laughs> the best cyberpunk. It is it is really yes. good. Like it it. So I, I think. You know, obviously, Blade Runner was the was the movie that got everyone to, to believe in in a cyberpunk future. But um, I I think that AI did a really good job of showing you what another version of a like a cyberpunk world could look like. Um, and it was it like it seemed very real and lived in and and gritty. You know, it's it's got that dark blue and magenta color scheme that's very yeah. cyberpunk these days. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, so I I like the part at the beginning with Jude Law where we learn that he's in this very interesting position as a as a <laughs> Gigolo Joe, but um my problem is with the there there's a segment in this movie where it felt like Spielberg was trying to find a way to transition to the flesh fair. And that's mm-hmm. that's my least par- favorite part of the movie is the moon is on the rise. Brendan Gleeson appears in a hot air balloon that looks like the moon. He says <laughs> things that are very weird. Un- old iron, old iron, expel your mecca. Uh, there's a magnet. They're trying to pull people up. He releases the hounds, which are actually guys dressed like Daft Punk robots or Tron people <laughs> riding motorbikes that are dog themed. And yeah, then, I love all and this then there's stuff. Like a, and then there's like a a shanty that they run through that's like a robot shanty town that appears right there in which case why why weren't you just in the robot shanty town before it's right around the corner and they run around and there's a lot of lot of noise and stuff and this to me felt like the St- obligatory steven spielberg amusement park ride portion of the film and uh it 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 felt like a lot of nonsense and didn't work for me once they get to the the flesh fair which is kind of like a monster truck rally where they rip apart robots. Uh, I, I liked it a lot better. And my favorite, maybe my favorite thing in this entire movie, or at least my favorite surprising touch in this entire movie is that we go to the dystopian world of the flesh fair where Chris Rock as a human cannonball robot is shot through a ring of fire and then a propeller blade to, to be destroyed. Um, because it's like While monster ministry trucks. is playing. Yes, yes. Monster <laughs> trucks meets robot wars with heavy metal music. That's what's going on here. And then there's a shot of a bunch of people like sitting at picnic tables quietly behind the stands, uh, eating like hot dogs and stuff. 
And I just thought that's like, now that yep. is a fun that's fair. Right. <laughs> so yeah, for I a split second, I thought, I, for a split second, I, I turned to Steven hearing the music and I was like, is that Rage Against the Machine? Because that would be perfect. Sadly, it was, I mean, I like ministry too, but it was less jokey. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I like I like I'm... the pedestrian parts of the fun fair that there, that, and also that there's the, like, the, the the guy who works there and his kid and they say there's a little boy in the cage and the right. all of that like it's it's such a weird and again because it's a fairy tale i feel like the, the like the imagery doesn't need to be like super grounded which is why you can like the moon brendan gleason and his moon balloon if you really want but like it's because <laughs> it's because it's not the point the point is that this is you know, it's not trying to say, what does this say about humanity that we've taken these <laughs> sentient beings and now we rip them apart? And it's more like, no, it's just this imagery of the charnel house of robots and that they're not considered people Th- like that's that's it. Like you're just supposed to let it wash over you. And, and I think it's effective at that. It, I think. Uh, Right, like I just uh, I, I, do, I, well, I, is it wrong for me to kind of love the fact that there's a three ring <laughs> circus where they destroy robots because it's kind of no, great. no. I mean, like I think I think it fits. I, f- I think it fits into the world perfectly. I, but what I wanted to focus on was a very Spielberg moment, which is the little girl going to talk to her yeah. dad about how there's a little boy in the cage. Right, that's very reminiscent of the Lost World colon Jurassic Park, uh, where where the oh, kid did that goes, have a colon. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, two dots together make a colon. Um, so the the uh, the little kid goes into his parents' room and and says, "There's a dinosaur in the backyard." Yeah. Oh yeah, it's um, pretty much the know, same scene. It's mm. it is it is you know it's almost <laughs> beat for beat, uh, the exact same thing. And uh, I you know I loved what was going on there. And the scan um, the scan is. Fast fascinating too right because you expect the scene to be uh, he's got the little scanner where you shine a blue light and it shows what's and it's like you're human and you're a robot and then they look at david and it's clear that he's a mecca but his response isn't oh honey this is just another robot we're going to tear apart he's like how could this robot exist i've never seen anything like it and he's like super into like we catalog all these robots before we destroy them and (laughs) we want to i want to know about it and brendan gleason's like nah because he's the he's a believer we we see him sell it he he as a yeah he's like a he's like preaching in the center ring until they throw rocks at him because he's going to kill a little boy yeah. uh and so he doesn't care I think those were bean bags they were bean yeah, bags okay. they were. why do they have bean bags it's stoning they're going to stone the robots yeah oh, okay. they were throwing them at the oh. uh they didn't the look heavy enough to do damage yeah, they were hand- no they were throwing them at the bullseyes where where the oh, uh the acid okay. was right oh, okay. Smart. It's like, a dunk, like a dunk tank like a dunk tank exactly okay. by the way okay. the other robot models all look great. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, like, the, the they, Island of Misfits. These are robots that are not human. Some of these were clearly not designed to convince you they were human and they look even weird. Yeah. The he- there's yeah. like a pod that's then got a head dangling off of it. There's a, right. a, a screen with a face projected on it, which I think is really interesting. And then, but mm-hmm. there are some kind of human form ones where they've got like, there's the, 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 the nanny. Is it the, the back of her head? Isn't mm-hmm. there. Um, reminded me of Ex Machina a little bit, another movie right. that deals with these issues in a very different mm-hmm. kind of way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's, there's some really great production design with all these weird robots. Mm-hmm. They're not all like Jude Law, uh, and Haley Joel Osment. They're not mm-hmm. all, you know, human form. They're different. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was speaking of the production design, that's sort of what ended up getting me on board. Because while I, I I liked the hot air balloon with the moon, but then when I saw the like neon wolf, 
motorcycle things. I was like, okay, this is taking it a step too far Death for me. This motorcycles, is just yep. silly. But I was brought back around and back on board when we got to the flesh fair yes. and I discovered why the motorcycles were all dressed up. Because like to me, honestly, the flesh fair is the most realistic part mm-hmm. of this entire movie because, you know, I have I've seen footage of of scary rallies with people, you know, doing things that I don't really agree with. And this is that it felt exactly like this. And, you know, they, I can totally see people dolling that up and adding a heavy metal band and some fireworks and just going to town on making it as uh, as flashy as possible. So, yeah, motorcycles dressed like, you know, like you said, monster truck rally. They already have monster trucks that have like animal <laughs> themes to them. So <laughs> why not some motorcycles that you're driving around? It is uh, a little classist. Oh, it's a lot classist. Like I mean, I the whole like movie is. <laughs> yes. Spielberg has been insanely rich for a very long time at this point. He doesn't... I think his, he's looking down on monster truck people. Yep. And monster and, trucks are fun. And heavy metal well, people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I think it I think there's a lot of the, you know, it's just that dystopian uh, Mad Max vibe. Like how what's the what's the quickest way we can convey that there are haves and have nots, right? Yeah. Um, it's easy and, shorthand. Right, right. It is. It is easy shorthand. And uh and that that was it. And then you know, we get Chris Rock for laughs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we throw do. Chris Rock in there <laughs> yep. and uh you know have him tell some jokes before he gets Shot through a cannon. <laughs> shot out of a cannon <laughs> through a ring of fire, so we set on fire, and then immediately disintegrated by a, a, a jet a propeller, propeller or jet engine or whatever it is, a big propeller. Yeah, I think Chris Rock and Robin Williams could have swapped parts and it would have been just as good. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. No, yep. well, there would have been a musical number if it was Robin mm. Williams before it, before he went in there. So Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the flesh fair. Um, I, think, I think it's really very clever. I do think that it's... Also a nod to the idea that this is a this is kind of a future dystopia, like even though we saw the comfortable house where David was raised mm-hmm. by his parents because his dad works at, at the robot factory and all of that. Like we're also told that this is after all the cities have flooded. So one way you balance that out is to show that that this is the the, the haves and the have nots. And here are the have nots. I'm sure that uh, you could do a different movie. Maybe there's a lot of fan fiction about the uh, the, the mm. class tourism that goes on at the flesh fairs and the AI uh, robot monster truck rally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's probably another side story about, you know, a couple who ha- goes to the flesh fairs for fun and they decide that they're going to have a kid even without a license. And then they have to figure out how to get, get right. there's so much happening in the fringes of yes. this. Like there's there's a lot to think about just in terms of the society and the way that it has evolved or devolved in a lot of cases, which is another thing I like about and it. And the humans. So when they throw the, the beanbags or whatever at Brandon Gleason, like that's the idea that he thinks that they're all true believers in his thing, whatever it is. And they're not right. They're there to see mm-hmm. fire and robots and motorcycles and stuff. They're not. They're not there yeah. <laughs> because they are believers in the anti-machine religion that Brendan Gleeson seems to be in charge of. And so he gets it from them. <laughs> and there's a riot because they're like, no, you know, save that little kid. Uh, maybe that means they're not that bright too. I don't know. But like, I like, I like that because it's a repudiation. He he is like what the most evil person in the movie sort of kind of but yeah but even yeah. so um the the people there don't agree with this move and they they throw their beanbags at him and so that says something about the, like positive about the people who are at the flesh mm-hmm. fair they're not monsters 
they're here to watch weird-looking robots get destroyed, not robots that look like the most adorable little boy on Earth. Right. 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 And I think that's another sign that, you know, for all of the marketing issues that Cybertronics was going to have, they were kind of on the right track because, you know, this many people in the middle of the movie show up to, to defend what is probably a robot, but they kind of just don't seem to care, shows that, yeah, people will, you know, if it looks like a kid, we're going to we're going to feel differently about it than a robot that looks like an adult. Right. Yeah. So um, million dollar, billion dollar idea. You mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, Robin Williams. Uh, He is Dr. No. There's nothing he doesn't. uh, <laughs> I'd like to say we skipped past Phil Coulson. Yes, Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg right. and a, a team of other people basically say to William Hurt, "We found him. He was in a flesh fair. He's in one piece." Uh, and then we don't we don't see them again, you know, for a while. But we know that they're kind of like on the case of trying to find him. Yeah. Cybernetics is trying to find them or whatever. Clark Gregg. Um, Cybertronics. Is, sorry, my is, apologies to Cybertronics Incorporated <laughs> for misnaming their dumb name of their company. Clark Gregg is uh, credited as Super Nerd, Super Nerd, along with yes, along with other right. people. Super Nerd, they they were in the opening scene as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yep. uh, mm-hmm. they're the Super Nerds, and then the they uh, uh, David and Jigolo Joe hitch a ride driven by idiot Adrian teens. Grenier, precious baby <laughs> yes. Adrian Grenier. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh yeah, idiot like, teens. Like, with, like basically, Jigolo Joe's like, I could hook you up with uh, with sex bots, and they're like, get in. Yeah. <laughs> you thought that previous scene where I was in a really sexy cyberpunk city was weird. We're going to Rouge City. It is cyber sleazy. It, it is. Yes. It is the. Trust you wait. It is future Vegas. Everybody, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Only even skeevier somehow. Yeah, and so Do- Robin Williams is Doctor No. It, this is the. Um, imagine if the genie from Aladdin was a search engine. <laughs> Uh, doing a, doing an Einstein voice. That's what it is. It's a, it's a, he's a search engine and they are trying to find the blue fairy because again, Pinocchio wants to turn into a, uh, a real boy. And this is a fairy tale told by a couple of dumb people who don't, are so limited in their programming that they don't know what, that they're, that what they're looking for doesn't exist. Right. (laughs) It's a classic robot trope. Robots never understand metaphor or fiction. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that, that. that's the. I, it is. I mean, you just have to go with it. That the idea is that you're watching two people who don't know enough about the world to understand really what it is, and so they go to ask the search engine, and the search mm-hmm. engine does its best, but it turns out the search engine's been undermined by William Hurt and Clark Gregg and the other super nerds to for <laughs> to uh, to change the results to lead them where they need to go, which is to the end of the world where the lions weep, which is the ruins of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I really love the scene where they are questioning Dr. No, because it's the first time, like all all the way up to this, it's sort of like these two characters have been in the same vicinity as each other. But this is the first time that they're really, truly working together and they they seem like a team. And that just, you know, it was a little bit heartwarming, but it also it it, it was nice to see them bonding in a way that that showed a, a little bit more that they are not necessarily just programmed robots and that you know david just loves his mom he also appreciates this this other jude law character Mm. gigolo joe who's there to help him and i also just visually quite appreciated all of like the categories and stuff and the trivial pursuit-esque fonts and colors i noticed that (laughs) yeah i love gigolo joe defaulting into gigolo joe behavior for a moment but (laughs) 
then putting it aside to help his friend. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that was. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Jude Law's performance is great. There's that moment when they're in the woods where he does his little dance and kicks his heels and stuff. And it's oh my just like, God, how did he not blink? It's so good. It's all so good. Uh, it's so he, strange he studied, and he, very particular. He apparently studied uh, Fred Astaire mm-hmm. to get some of those, like to try to get some of those moves. And I was like, wow, he wow. he really nailed it. I will say that the Rouge City bit that was a little bit disappointing to me visually, because as like at the beginning of this whole section, we have Gigolo Joe as a sex bot. And I'm like, okay, this is great. We have a prostitute that's not a woman. That's kind of nice, subverting my expectations. I appreciate that. And then we get to Rouge City and all of the bridges, all of them are roads coming straight into giant women's mouths yes. that are wide open. And I was like, yeah. oh, I guess we haven't moved on quite as much as no, I would have liked no. to have thought. No, I was kind of let, let down by Rouge City. I, I liked the, the it, it's trying to show us so much and I feel like that's a harder trick than what's implied by the earlier stuff with Jude Law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I like the fact that all of, like, even though this stuff was in the future, some of the tech was in the past, all of the displays were four by three. Um, but then, <laughs> but then, then they had like 16 by nine. So like when, uh, Dr. No comes out, he fills your screen, uh, even though he's in four by three. So, uh, that was, that was interesting nice to, touch. Yeah, it was interesting oh. to see how that didn't translate. Um, I always watch the always watch future movies for. <laughs> yeah, for, I always find the, I always find the interfaces interesting. This movie right. is all in on voice commands. Yeah, yes, and yes. then of True. course, uh, Minority Report will be all about the hand gestures, yeah, hand gestures. in the air. <laughs> That's right. So there's a moment here where um, after Doctor No indicates that they have to go to the end of the world, Manhattan. Um, that uh, David is gonna go, and Gigolo Joe is like, man, um, and good we luck. get this goodbye that is not a goodbye in the end because of what happens next. But this, to me, is the point in the screenplay, at least, where they're gonna say, "All right, here are the philosophical issues about robots. <laughs> right, let's talk about it for a <laughs> yeah, minute. Like we, we we've done the." What happens if a robot can love? Bad. What happens if a robot desperately needs love? Bad. Now let's zoom out and actually discuss this stuff on the nose for a little bit. Right. So so Jude Law says, they hate us, you know, the humans. They'll stop at nothing. And David says, my mommy loves me. And he says, she loves you for what you do for her as my customers love me. He says, we're, we're not that different, you and I. You're alone now <laughs> because they tired of you or were displeased with you. They made us too smart too quick and too many we are suffering for the mistakes they made and when the end comes all that will be left is us which is true that's the that's what happens in the movie mm-hmm. um well and you just did try to after. drown martin yeah well well it, i don't think he was trying he was trying to ask martin to protect him but he's not he was not programmed very well Right. Yeah. That's the problem. He wasn't too smart, in my opinion. And neither were those adults because they should have just brought both kids up. I don't think David's that heavy. But it's too smart, too quick, I think, is the idea here is that this is the overreach. This is the Frankenstein argument, right? Which is they they made a mistake and they created thinking beings too fast, but like before they should. And they made a lot of them. And now it's really bad. <laughs> and, and like, I think that I think that it's good. I liked that we get this part where we're like, let's lay it out there. At which point it's like, goodbye, Joe. But then the com- cops come and they're going to take him away. They they literally say to him, you're in bad trouble, which is what he said at the beginning. <laughs> I'm in bad trouble. They say the same thing. But David hijacks the police amph- amphibicopter. 
Amphibicopter, uh, that's correct. And picks up yes. Joe, <laughs> destination Manhattan. Uh, we see a flooded Manhattan, very, very high sea levels. I'm not sure you could get sea levels this high. This is the water world argument. Even if you melted mm-hmm. all of the ice on the planet, I don't think they would be quite this high. Yeah. Also, it, it if the water's that high, like over the Empire State Building, that means sea level is... Really, really, really high. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Also, like there's not a lot of land left. For a movie anywhere. released in June 2001, Future New York has the World Trade Center flooded. Right. Just a just a little note. You're like, oh, movie made before. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, there it is. It's the future flooded New York. Uh, only the Statue of Liberty's torch emerges from the water. Right. Yeah. Uh, knowing knowing that area very very well. Uh, if if that. If that sea level was that high, there is no part of Jersey that they could have lived in. Yeah, that, that would have allowed them to uh, to not also have gills. There's there's a lot of artistic license with this because they want it to be cool. At the end, I, what, I think the Appalachians kind of block the water, and then everybody is on the inside of that. Right. At, at the end of the movie, there's this implication that there's been like an ice age. And yet New York seems to still be flooded, which also yes. doesn't make any sense because as things froze, the sea level goes back down. <laughs> but fairy tale. Like, don't, it's a fairy tale. Exactly. Don't think about it that don't much. Think they, hard. It, they imported water at one point in that 2000 years. They didn't mention from it. From space? They just, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. They mined space. it from asteroids. Okay. Mm-hmm. So before they left. Comets. Yes. Right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, anyway, they <laughs> yeah. find Professor Hobby, uh, William Hurt, uh, with the lion statues with the water running down them, and they go and park the amphibicopter. And uh, they what they find first, though, b- before they find William Hurt, is a duplicate of David, David basically sitting in a chair. They have a conversation, and we get the callback to that whole thing about they if we can make them to love, they can hate just as well. And uh, uh, David says, you, you can't have her. She's mine, and I'm the only one. And he, d- and he <laughs> smashes that other David into little pieces. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was, uh, I was, that was unexpected and, and harsh, but I didn't feel like it was unfitting because like we just talked about how David almost accidentally killed Martin by, you know, bringing him into the pool. I feel like, yeah, this, this, this kid robot is not super well programmed. It's, it, he's programmed to love, but there's nothing, there's no framework programming around that. Yeah. So anytime like some super strong emotion comes out, it's like everything else glitches out. And this is definitely one of those moments. So I don't even know if it actually is showing that he can truly hate. Um, I just feel like it's just he, he, he blips. And he flips he's, he's out. jealous and... of the idea that somebody else could take the person that he's made for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep. yep. Well, I know we said it before, but Haley Joel Osment, incredible. Yep. Yeah. So good. Yeah. What What's weird is it's the first time a robot has attacked another robot in the film mm-hmm. as well. And... Um, you know, up until that point, all of the robots have have been you know cooperative. You know. Yeah. yeah. Even when they're scrabbling in that. Big uh, pile of dirt yeah. for right. replacement eyeballs and stuff. There's no right. competition, right? Yeah, like the two, you know, trying to like that that one robot needs a new arm and just you know the other robot's just handing arm after yeah. arm it's after arm. arm. Like, yeah, That's cooperation. Um, William Hurt emerges to reveal everything. He says, you know, because we've 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 also seen the pictures. It's very clear now that you know he's he's duplicating his son. Um, Ugh. you're, you're a, you're, you know, you are a real boy as real as I've ever made one anyway, 
That's not the same. Uh, <laughs> he says, "You well, you, he made the original David." Yeah, I was like, "Wow, that was a weird thing to say." You are, uh, you have a, what? An, any idea what a success story you've become? He says, "You found a fairy tale, set out to journey to find her. We wanted to know where your self motivated reasoning would take you. This blue fairy that you're seeking is part of the great human flaw to wish for things that don't exist and chase down our dreams. No machine has ever done that until you." Uh, so this is that moment where he praises David. And he says, "I thought I was one of a oh, one of a kind," and he said, "My son was one of a kind. You're the first of a kind." And uh, he says, "I'm going to go have you meet your real mothers and fathers, the super nerds, presumably. Wait here, I'll gather them up." At which point, David says, "My brain is falling out," <laughs> and he goes, and there's a whole like rack of Davids. Uh, boxes of Davids and Darlene's. There's some of those uh, those iSub uh, speakers for the Mac that are in there. They're very futuristic, though. <laughs> Little Mac uh, speakers that are that are thrown in there. Uh, sound sticks and iSubs. Uh, and a box shakes. I guess they forgot to turn that one off. That's uh, got a David inside it. But what he does is he now, you know, I think understands who he is and all that. And he's sitting out there on the ledge and he drops off into the water. He says, um, mommy, yeah. and then falls. Yep. Yeah. But I think in, in a... In a movie that has a lot of really sad scenes, this is this is one that stands out for me, specifically the William Hurt part of it, because, you know, I've watched an awful lot of science fiction and the way that they sort of frame his character at the beginning is much more kindly and benevolent than he turns out to be like he's still kindly. But it's very clear in this scene that he doesn't see David as anything more than anybody else in the world. He's not extra special to him except as a product. It's, you know, he is, he is, this is the real mad scientist scene where he's so excited that he has, you know, created quote unquote life. He's done something that nobody else has before. And he's so excited that they're going to sell so great. And I can't wait to show you off, you know, put you on a pedestal and show you off to the rest of these people before we probably deactivate you because, you know, there's, there's nothing else we can do with you after we've learned everything we can. And it's so, it's so sad to me because there was a little part of me, especially the first time I watched this, that was, hoping that the movie would go in a different direction and William Hurt would appear. And because this was uh, a bot that's based on his son, would actually feel some some real affection mm-hmm. for him. And totally that's not what happens. And it's just like the, <laughs> no. the rug is pulled out from under. Like, Remember no. that scene at the beginning where he stabbed the robot? Oh, right. yeah, oh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> oh, Good yeah. point, Monty. Heartless. So, <laughs> and what's funny here is he's, his response to David is very much, and first of all, he may not have been a very good dad, people. I'm just going to say maybe he wasn't a very good dad. <laughs> so, uh, he's like, great, you're here. Uh, the journey continues. We're going to do so much research on you. You're such a great data point. I'm going to go get the rest of the team and we're going to study you. I'll be uh, right back. And David's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, right. no, no, and no, this is not... Again. This, this is, is not what I'm going to do. I don't care. By the way, a uh, fairy tale moment, the most of fairy tale moments is when David jumps into the water. He is conveyed by a school of fish oh, magically yes. as light <laughs> shines from above. Uh, that I wanted is to ask, amazing. does anybody know, can, like I, I recognize a school of fish probably creates some currents. Could they really do that? <laughs> because I want to believe that they Magic could. fish could, Erica. <laughs> I don't think otherwise. Well, we're not sure how heavy he is. Mm, that's true. Um, also, I think it's weird that he works fine underwater, but if he eats spinach, his face melts. Right. <laughs> it is it's a- goopy. Water's not goopy. Okay. 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> he's got a like a, a he's waterproofed for thirty minutes under you yeah. know a certain amount. He's he's got that thirty th- minutes or two thousand years. He's not in water in the amphibicopter. There's yeah. no All water. Right. So in he's gra- he's 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 grabbed by Joe in the amphibicopter, but Joe is magnetized by the police, and he says, "Remember <laughs> me to the ladies when you grow up. I am. I was. I was. Which is, I think, very important. That's the idea that no matter what happens, and they're not human, it doesn't matter. He existed. He was somebody. He did exist in the world." Um, and he sets the copter to dive. It submerges below Coney Island. Uh, you know, Teddy says, David, be careful. David's not that great at flying the amphibicopter. He flies around. He finds the Pinocchio story, like on the sea surface, <laughs> seeking the blue fairy. There is a blue fairy figure. Um, conveniently, right at this moment, the Ferris wheel from Coney Island falls down. No, it's. It's not convenient. He actually knocked no. it down. The The point where Teddy says, be careful, David, it's when he actually, yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying that the conveniently part happened a little bit before that. It's well, when the tail of the amphibicopter He bumped bumps a bunch of stuff the... so that it would yep. conveniently fall exactly. down in the exact moment where they were looking at the blue fairy. Anyway, he's, it's a fairy tale. It's fine. Trapping them uh, with the blue fairy. Uh, which I keep spelling F-E-R-R-Y, but it's not that kind of fairy. It's it's a different <laughs> no. kind, even though they're in the water. You can see why it would be confusing. Anyway, you'd think the police would want to get their copter back, but I guess not. Uh, please, Blue Fairy, make me real, he says, for about 2,000 years, or at least until his power runs out. 2,000 years. Yes. The tragedy oh. of And then the oh, narrator, man. which our narrator from the very beginning, returns. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Is this also Ben Kingsley or is it a different narrator? I can't, I couldn't see no, a credit for Kingsley. the narrator. It is Ben Kingsley, though, right? Who is also yep. the voice of the robot later on. Yeah, here. He, that robot is the one that's telling us this whole yes, thing. Yes, okay. That's good. Uh, I thought I thought so. He, ben Kingsley is not credited as narrator. He's credited as uh, the like the scientist or the specialist. The specialist. The specialist, um, yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, 2,000 years pass. It's what, what a moment. What a move that is, right? 2,000 years yep. later... And this is the third portion of the movie. The battery power in these robots is the real uh, technological breakthrough, not the AI. Yeah. Well, we don't know how how long it takes him to run down. They have to recharge him a little bit before he can talk again at the end. Nuclear. Um, (laughs) So the idea here is that the floodlights dimmed and he could still see her. And he prayed to the blue fairy as the ocean froze and the ice encased him and 2000 years passed by. And then what we see next is... Um, the ruins of New York 2,000 years later. By the way, again, I know fairy tale, but after 2,000 years, the submerged buildings would not still be standing. Okay. Uh, Box-like craft, uh, not built by humans, uh, uh, fly into the city. They go deep down. They're letting off creatures that we don't really know what they are. Um, And we find uh, that they, they... remove david from this uh this craft there are these super tall skinny creatures that are the future of of robot life all the humans have since died out but the the techno life uh continues to exist and there's a great moment where they say um this to to each other like telepathically or via wi-fi or however telepathy works for (laughs) robots uh that uh, they knew living people because it's been so long since humans were alive that the it's remarkable that these uh creatures actually knew living people um uh david touches the blue fairy who shatters because it's been two thousand years they read his memory there's a long scene where they they kind of like flash on their faces the memory of things that happened previously in the movie um it's very dave bowman's uh house in 2000 at the end of 2001 very much the same vibe here a little bit um he uh 
David ends up back in his house, except it's got the kind of glowing light I, outside of it. I want to touch on that scene where they have their the robots have their hands on each other's shoulders. And like, it's, I think it's a beautiful scene. But at first I was like, okay, it's 2000 years in the future. They're traveling in a box where the sides just come off and float around uh, because it's so technologically advanced and they have to touch each other to, to be able to share this. But, but then I realized, you know what, you know, Wi-Fi is great, but wired is always better. Like Mm -hmm. it's always going to be faster. So I think that they just needed to touch each other to get the full. Erica, they're touching each other for emotional support. Yeah. Uh, oh, that could be it too. <laughs> I think it's interesting that when they ask him what he wants, he says, please make me a real boy so my mommy will love me and stay with me forever. Which is when you realize he is a robot in the sense that he has no character arc at all. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What he is when he is created is what he is forever. Yes. Yep. That's his fundamental thing about him. He doesn't really progress, right? He's on a quest Mm-mm. to do a thing, but he, he doesn't really grow so much over that um i was thinking so i was thinking about i love the scene this whole sequence i love the design of the future mechas um they're all long and skinny and tall and weird and i I love it um like when we first see david oh he's backlit and he looks like a gray alien oh very nice monty very nice so I also was thinking, so they, they, they got him in his house and then he does speak to the Blue Fairy who is credited, it's Meryl Streep. It, she's actually credited as Blue Mecca, which I love. Like she's the, <laughs> she's the Blue Fairy of, of the robots of the future. Um, and she, and she says, I can't make you a real boy. But I was thinking about it as he's wandering around the empty house. I thought about old software running an emulation on modern computers. <laughs> actually, which yeah. is like the idea that you take something that, like, is David operating? They've probably read his source code. They know everything about him. Like, right. this is that that thing where I I run an Apple II program from 1981 inside uh, an iPad. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, what? Uh, because it doesn't know. It thinks that ev- that it's still the world as it existed when it existed. But it's actually like on multiple layers of emulation inside something it couldn't even comprehend. And I was thinking about that here because they've evolved so much beyond him. But they yet also, you know, kind of have compassion for him and are seeking to understand him uh, in this in this moment. And they explain, you know, we want you to be happy that's their compassion again. Um, and we can, and then there's the little hand wavy fairy tale part, which is, uh, we can bring back people whose bodies we take up from the ice, but Teddy saved that lock of hair from earlier in the movie, two movies ago. Go Teddy. You can bring, you can bring her back, but because of space time pathways and other stuff only for a day. Okay. How did he save that? He, he, sold it look, he, put, it, he put it in his pocket. Yeah, he didn't. No, he didn't put it in his pocket. He literally put it inside himself yeah. and sewed himself back. And up. sewed himself oh, back. Oh, up. Yeah, that's we right. see him. Yeah, there was the scene All of right. him sewing. Right. It's in there earlier. It's yeah. in there. If you if you know okay. what's coming, okay. you can you can yeah. see it. It's in there. Yeah. Um, Teddy man. Yeah. So it's he's, Ben Kingsley is the, the robot best. specialist who basically says yep. they, they only live a day because of space time. Blah 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 blah. Um, and he says maybe she'll be I special. Like <laughs> and and the comment is, it's. You are proof of their genius, these long gone humans. We want you to be happy. And he says, well, you know what you have to do. So they, they go to her, David. She's waking up this instant. Everybody get ready to cry. Uh, Monica is there in the bed. They have a perfect day together. He brings her coffee. Uh, they, this is they why Spielberg needed to, 
This is why Spielberg needed to direct this movie and not Stanley right. Kubrick. And this, for the because record, this, this scene is from Kubrick's uh, project. Steven Spielberg yeah. has said, and the screenwriter has said, this is not Steven Spielberg tacking on this this uh, emotional ending. This is Kubrick getting to the end and being like, I think maybe Steven Spielberg should direct this. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm visioning seeing some real fancy light, some. Just really Spielberg it up, I, Steve. I need to, you know, I, we all need to feel this. So they have, you know, it's it's a perfect day and it seems a little unreal. She's acting like, you know, I don't, I, I'm a little confused. And it's yeah. kind of like her afterlife, right? She gets this one day, but she expresses her love for him. And they, they have a birthday party for him because he never had a birthday party because he never had a birthday. And then she goes to sleep. And then as the narrator tells us, won't ever wake up and that David goes to sleep too. You get the impression that he is, this is, they've given him his happy ending and they can turn off his simulation or whatever because he's fulfilled his purpose. And that's the end of the movie. So it really is the compassionate machines in the far future that give this boy his wish in a way, which is the perfect day with his mother that he's been programmed to love. And then they, and then that's the end, which is, um, it is a very emotional ending, but it's also very interesting because in the end, I'm just as moved by the compassion that these sleek, glassy future robots have for David as I am about David and his mom. It's just, it's quite a, there's a whole lot of emotion going on in this, in this very weird last mm-hmm. uh, sequence. I was um, upset at that ending, um, you know, emotionally uh, taken aback. Um, not because David got his happy ending, but because Teddy is sitting there by himself. Yeah. He he yeah. climbs up on the bed, he looks at <laughs> everybody, and he just kind of plops down in like this old baller, yep. you know, yeah. Winnie the Pooh type of <laughs> But Cicero, you know, like, that's oh. why we're ready for AI too, artificial intelligence yeah. too. Where Teddy will be the captain of his own starship seeking out mechanical <laughs> life around the universe. It's coming sometime. Right. Sure. Yeah, no, sis. High five, Cicero, because you're so right. <laughs> Teddy spent more time with real people, well, excuse me, with human, with organic people than David did. So I think the robots want to talk to him more. I oh, hope so. Yeah, sure. I really hope so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it's yeah. true. Teddy like, is, none of the rest of this yeah. movie is told from Teddy's perspective. It's it's <laughs> David's movie, mm-hmm. even though, like, Teddy's the hero, yeah, really, so when the you last, think about it. So after, after Teddy's sitting there, then all the glass robots walk in and they're like, so, Teddy, we got to talk. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's debrief now uh, no, like, I, right. I love this i love this part of the ending um i i watched it with my spouse steven who had seen it before and he described the entire movie as watching it roll along and then come to a screeching halt so everything could be explained and then it ends um and that's <laughs> not how it felt to me no. but i can understand how you might you might feel that way because we do get an awful lot of information mm-hmm. from the specialist we have ben kingsley explaining a bunch of stuff yep, to space us space time but, pathways Sure. Yeah, exactly. I I argue that there's no other way to get that specific information to us. Like you you can't just show that stuff. You have to tell it. And the thing that I really love about the way that it plays out is that these future robots 
just level with David from moment one. <laughs> they don't try to talk to him like he's an actual child. They don't try to sugarcoat things. They don't try to soften them up. He, they just say in kindly, like in a, you know, there's an empathetic manner to it. But you know, you're the, everybody's dead. We can't bring you know, we can't really bring your mother back. And then explain sort of the science of it. And and to me, that mumbo jumbo science about space time and how you can bring a person back, but it only lasts for one day, is super super important. Like that is the the linchpin of the entire yeah. fairy tale fairy for tale. me because right. that that tells us that this this version of Monica that is back is not just a version of Monica it is really legitimately her and while they may have you know maybe they've done something to to mess with her mind or maybe it's just because it's 2000 years later and she's been brought back that she only sort of specifically remembers the things that are right in front of her but either way it's still her so the feelings that she feels are still valid for her so at the end when she's about to go to sleep and she says to Dave I love you. I have always loved you. Yep. That's 100% legitimately true. So when she left him in the woods, it was because she loved him. Mm -hmm. So in the end, he gets what he always wanted. His mommy loves him. His mommy has always loved him. And as I said before, he also technically gets to be a real boy because at this point, there are no more organic humans, at least not on Earth. So everybody, all of the sentient beings that exist around him are robots. And so is he. So he totally is a real boy. And then I ugly cried. So At least on Earth, you said, boy, I'm going to put that in the file for AI2 artificial intelligence. Too, maybe they're out there somewhere else. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah. I mean, fairy tale again. I think this movie works if you understand it as fairy tale framing, and I think that if you are framing it as science fiction, I'm glad I had that moment where I'm like, well, wait a second, is this a fairy tale? Because it is, <laughs> and you gotta you gotta go with it that way. Because I love the just how um, bold it is to say two thousand years later. Uh, all the humans died out. They're robots. This boy is still here and we're going to give him a happy ending out of our compassion. Right. Like I love the, I know. And, and when this movie came out, this ending was kind of controversial, I think because it's such a jump that, that you're watching it unprepared and you're like, what? Like that you expect <laughs> so something conventional part. and it's unconventional. But I, I think that the ending, I love the ending. I was going to say, I think the ending is the best part. I think the ending is the most notable part at the very least that it has the audacity to say 2000 years later, all humans are dead. Robots have evolved into being sentient creatures and they find him and they, they finally can give him what he wants. And yeah, the space time stuff is hand wavy and all that. But the idea there is they want to be able to cast a magic spell that gives him his wish before, you know, to, to let him fulfill his mission as in life. I love the ending because it's so something I haven't seen before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like it fits with the, well, here's an immortal boy who loves what now. Mm -hmm. And you would have thought I've seen it before, but I hadn't. And I love that. Yep. Yeah. I, I really love the, the ending as well. Um, I remember leaving the theater um, saying that I liked it partially because I knew that was like the the avant-garde thing to say about this film that was marketed. It was so weirdly marketed. I don't know if you guys remember yeah. uh, the marketing ar ar around that film. Uh, I was working at the time. I was working at Movie Phone uh, when this when this film when this film was released. So I was always you know what 
how movies were being marketed was something that I was uh, very, very aware of at the time. And so going to see this film, you weren't really sure what it was. There was, you know, it was a sci-fi element. There was a horror element. You knew that Spielberg was connected and Kubrick was connected in some way. Um, but there was, you know, they kept showing the copter and then the, yeah. the face of the, of the, the nanny. nanny bot with her, yep. you know, when she turned to the side. So, you you know, no idea what was going on. So when you sat down for this film, you you couldn't even begin to predict what you were going to see. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's like you saw everything. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it was just like I was so tra- like just trapped in my brain with this film. I knew that I liked it, but I knew that I didn't want to see it again. It was too heavy to watch again. Um, but now having watched it again, I really know that I did love that film. I really love that film. I I will never watch it again. Oh, I have to say Cicero is AI artificial intelligence rated PG 13 is playing at. (laughs) Okay. That's all. That's all I got. Go ahead, Eric. I, I, I feel like my journey on this was very similar to yours. Uh, I, I watched it possibly in the theater. I, I enjoyed it okay. I think I was a little bit confused at the end. In part, I think I was reeling because I had already seen two different movies when we just crashed into the third movie in the movie. Right. Um, so I, I'm not even sure that I caught the first time through that they were future robots. And I was I was thinking maybe they were aliens. I wasn't entirely sure. Um, right. But I liked it. I, I liked it okay, but I never was drawn to go back and rewatch it. Um, and then rewatching it for this, like, I just, I a hundred percent do love this movie now. And, and it was, it was helpful to watch it again after sort of recognizing that there are different parts. I think part of the reason that I didn't land on, I love it after the first time I watched it was because I did go in knowing nothing, which, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. It's fun to experience movies that way, but quite often a second watch where I sort of know what to expect in terms of the the shock moments is yeah. helpful because then I can absorb the bits and pieces, like, you know, the lines that, that lead you to believe, oh yeah, these are future future robots. They're not aliens. They're just, they're, they're robots. I totally picked up on that this time. And and it just it really felt like it flowed the second time through here as opposed to the first time where my brain just could not quite follow fast enough. Uh, so. So, yeah, I I I might actually watch this movie again. I, huh. I can see myself. I can see myself doing that. Just, uh, you know, especially if there's, you know, a day where I just I really need a good cry. Like this oh, okay. is a movie mm, that I might yeah. pop in yeah, and sure. re-experience the journey. Monty, you mentioned that you. You watched this movie, having not seen it before, and you loved it. Uh, any, uh, as we're wrapping up here, any final thoughts from you about about how you feel about this movie? It's so bleak. I didn't think it was going to be this bleak. <laughs> right? Oh man, I really, really like this movie. I'm definitely going to watch it again, probably pretty soon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I yeah yeah I. I liked it more than I, I think I watched it on home video after it came out. I liked it more than I remember liking it. Um, I, it, it definitely works on an emotional level. I think for me, like I've been saying all along, the key was unlocking the fact that this is not a science fiction movie, but a fairy tale and knowing, watching it this time, knowing what the movie is and where it's going. I was able, I think to appreciate it a little bit more. I'm still Mm -hmm. frustrated a little bit in the first part because it is playing like a twilight zone episode or or something like that but i feel like what i really want to see is 
more exploration of the ethics of creating intelligent life. And this movie is not really interested in that. And there are other things I can watch for that. I think that those issues in the last 20 years, we've gotten things like humans and ex machina that actually deal with these issues and her, right? Like they deal with a lot of these same issues from that science fictional perspective that this movie doesn't want to. (laughs) And that's fine because it is a fairy tale. It looks great. Um, I rolled my eyes at the moon balloon and some of that stuff in the middle, but it's very quickly moves beyond that to the, to the monster truck rally of destroyed robots, which is great. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I like, um, strangely bringing it back to Kubrick, like a movie like 2001. I think this is a movie that I might revisit every few decades, but Mm. not like it's not in rotation, but I I could see watching it again because I kind of appreciate it and for what it is but it's also not something that i I think brings me kind of comfort yes erica if i wanted to bring myself to tears i could pop this one on and and it would do that for sure i i want to i want to point out how well the effects in this film hold up it's it's 20 years old yeah and and um, while, you know, like there was the moment in early, uh, early on where the AI Sheila, they, you know, they do the, the first big, uh, sci-fi CGI effect where her face opens up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that looked a little weird, like you knew it was coming, but, but from the rest of it, it looked, it looked really, really good. Um, you know, again, uh, this is Spielberg. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's Spielberg at its finest, but it is, it is a Spielberg film. And even, uh, well, this wasn't even a bad one, but I'm, but this guy is, the guy is good. He's, 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 he's good at his craft. He's working he hard do it here. More. He's working yeah. hard here. And yeah, I think the effects are very good. I think that, you know, maybe the Rouge City stuff is a little bit trying too hard, but sure. But, um, but most, for the most part, I think it's very impressive. And yeah, I think this is interesting because it's also this mid career, Spielberg where um like Minority Report the next year he is trying to make take his love of science fiction movies and science fiction in general and try to give it an adult take where earlier in his career he made a lot of movies that were 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 for for you know young adult teen childhood stories and things like that and although this is a story about a robot child it is adult science fiction really it is something that is you know it's it's at that I, i think he was trying to calibrate for like a little bit of a different audience and try to synthesize these two parts of his uh of his of his brain with this movie and with Minority Report, especially, and I guess War of the Worlds, maybe I don't know, I don't know what I, I don't know what <laughs> think about that, that one. one. But you know, it, it's it feels like mid career Spielberg of trying to synthesize these two things, which is why it's funny that this was also a Kubrick project that ended up as a Spielberg project because I think that you can see, and the fact that it's three movies in one, there's a lot of stuff in the mix here, and I think it it, it might not be as cohesive as you might like but yeah he's spielberg is trying one of our greatest directors trying very hard working very hard to tell this kind of story and also honor another one of our greatest directors in the process it's a kind of a lot to ask and and you can see that he's working hard here yep i love that it's a spielberg movie i think it's looking at spielberg's early career the fact that he's still trying to do weird movies this late mm-hmm. makes me very happy. Yep, for sure. 
for sure. I yeah. also want to mention uh, the only other, there's a novel and I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want to spoil it for people, but there is a novel that I read that's about 600 pages long and about halfway through it, there is a, a scene break. And then on the next page, it says 5,000 years later. Oh. I love that wow. so much. Like, and I thought yeah. I figured it was coming. And in this movie, it's the same thing. But it's like, ah, oh, I just, I love that. I love that. It was like, you know, that movie you thought you were seeing? Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. Bigger scale than that a little bit. Bigger scope. And I just, I love, I love that kind of thing. So I will always admire the end of this movie for that too. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I just, I would have liked a little more Teddy, but that's oh, really Teddy. my only actual, actual complaint. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this film is, it's tough to recommend. Well, I don't know if it's tough to recommend. I guess it's tough to recommend if you look at it as a sci-fi film. Right. Right. But I think as, yeah. as both Erica, Erica and, and you, Jason, uh, have properly emphasized, it's a fairy tale, tale film. Um, and if you look at it as, as a fairy tale film, then it's, Still difficult to recommend because it's like, you know, because you can't, you can't tell a family like, oh, hey, you and your kids should sit down and watch this film, oh, which no. they could, but the kids would get bored by it, I think. Yeah. I don't think this is a movie right? for kids. I know in an earlier version, Gigolo Joe was actually supposed to be a GI, like a soldier, and they oh. then switched it over to the Gigolo and we're kind of right. like, okay, not, not a movie for kids right. at this point. Um. Yeah, you know, I don't know if depending on how old the kids are, you, they don't know what a gigolo really is. He's just, oh, he's a guy who kisses girls. <laughs> um, but that is all he does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and and like, I don't know. I, I you know, like teenagers that could also get the 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 message at the end probably wouldn't be interested in it. But like maybe some adults would be like who who is the person in your in your life that you'd sit back and say hey let's watch this film I tried to get my my partner to watch it with me and she was like no thank you um and I you know like I didn't even know how to sell it to her I think if it's I think if if it's somebody who really loves fairy tales has a deep love of fairy tales and also likes thinky sci-fi this this is a movie that will probably at least be worth your time to watch i don't necessarily know that they will fall in love with it the way that i did um but i do think that there's a lot worth seeing and worth thinking about in it so if it's if they're the kind of person who likes to watch sort of a thinky movie and sit down and talk about it and talk about the concepts in it and also enjoys fairy tales that's the person that you should try to get to watch this movie razor thin venn diagram that's okay yeah I don't know. Yeah. I I know a lot of people like that. Maybe you just. Maybe yeah, I need just I need better have friends. My same circle of friends. Yeah, someone be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope we've uh, done this movie justice, and uh, maybe you want to go see it. Maybe you want to revisit it. Uh, but the summer of Spielberg rolls on. Until next time, though, let me thank my guests for being here to discuss a period I period artificial intelligence. Cicero Holmes, thank you. Justice for Ted. Thank you very much, Jason. <laughs> Muddy Ashley, thank you. Please call me super nerd. <laughs> Erica Ensign, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, a sequel or some good fanfic all about Teddy. And thus, 2,000 years passed by, and in the ice, all they found was the incomparable. <laughs> okay, just, just one week. Seven days will pass by, and we'll be back then. Oh, 
Can I blink now? The end, yes. (laughs) 